Greetings and welcome to Flanagan's Ecologic. I am your host, Ted Flanagan. And this week I'm joined by the mayor of Glendale, California, my friend Dan Brotman. He has, a, has had an interesting career in international finance. He's been an educator, an activist, and he's got a great story to tell us today. Delighted to have Dan on the podcast. Hey, Dan, welcome to the podcast. How are you today? I'm good, Ted. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for taking time out of your schedule, Mr. Mayor, to, to join the podcast. I'm, I'm delighted. And uh, where are you today? Are you in Glendale as we speak? I'm in Glendale. I'm in my house um, and uh, at my desk. Yeah, yeah, very good. And, we're not, and it's we're not beautiful. Too far apart. No, we're not too far apart. It's a nice sunny day. And what what is uh what's the focus of today or what's hot this week in your in your role as the mayor of Glendale? Well, this particular week, um, we've actually had a lot uh come across our, our table. Um firstly, we had to bite the bullet and raise our utility rates pretty substantially uh to pay for a lot of the exciting things that we're doing, which I hope we get to talk about a little bit. Um, but, um, you know, we've got an old grid that, uh, isn't ready for, um, the coming century and we have to make, uh, some big investments and that means somebody has got to pay for it. So that's been challenging. Um, but it's just something we have to get through. And, uh, the other hot topic has been, um, renter protections, uh, because in in a lot of places there's been a wave of of evictions now that some of the COVID uh, eviction restrictions have been lifted, and you know we're looking at how do we balance protecting protecting you know vulnerable people and 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 avoiding displacement and the disruption that comes with that um, you know and and balancing that against you know the the needs of um, people who have invested in in rental property and, and, and deserve a fair shake. And, yep. uh, and yep. we don't want to do things that are going to undermine, you know, that we need, we need the landlords uh, to provide space for the tenants. So it's, it's, it's really tough, but those are just this week's. Just topics. this week's. Yeah. And I've, I've, I've spoken to you obviously many times since you become uh, joined the council and, and become the mayor and, you know, you, you, as we'll get into it in this podcast, you really came from an energy standpoint, energy, climate, you know, green standpoint. And now you've got to deal with this wide swath, a uh, wide array of energy uh, of issues like housing, right? Racism, yeah. and, all these other and, things that were, you know, that a, that, a, that a council member needs to be aware of and involved with. And even some things that are really far afield or seem really far afield, like um, coyotes, it's a hot topic nowadays with uh, what seems to be an explosion in the coyote population and, and people are concerned. And so, you know, you're on council, yep. you're the mayor, you get the questions, you got to, you got to, you know, get your head around. What is it that we can do? What is it that we want to do? Um, yeah. So it's, so you really get pulled in, in so many directions, which makes it interesting. I mean, I have to say it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I it think makes it makes it fascinating. Yeah, that's great. Let's let's back way up and just for the sake of our audience, uh, grew up where, Dan? Uh, well, I grew up in Philadelphia. Yep, yep. And and then what what were your 
early influences? Uh, what, what were your parents doing? What were you thinking about when you were a little kid? Well, um, both of my parents uh, were physicians, um, not necessarily very traditional. My, my dad was a psychiatrist, which in those days uh, wasn't about dispensing medication. It was about having somebody lie down and have this Freudian conversation. Um, my mom was a, a radiologist and went into medicine when very few women did. Uh, my mom's now 91. Mm -hmm. and uh, doing very well. But um, when she went into medicine, uh, it was it was tough for women. So, you know, I had that. And um, but, you know, we lived a, a pretty comfortable life. Uh, and um, I, I feel like I was very privileged and lucky um, yeah. to have, you know, parents that love me and uh, and a safe environment. And when we see what's going on around the world, you know, we, we really have to treasure the yeah. fact that we can wake up every day and, and go to sleep and we don't have to worry about uh, destruction around us. So, so true. We are, we are so lucky. And, and then you went off to Brown University and it seems like you, you didn't have anything to do with the, the medical field at all that your parents uh, are involved with. You went off to Brown. It seems like you were just going headlong towards economics and finance. And is that, is that right? Well, when I went to Brown, not really. I was um, I was interested in in the world outside of the U.S. I I, I really was was uh, I had done some um, travel before I went to college. I actually uh, was able to finish high school a year early because I went to this a uh, little bit of a hippie high school that lets you take extra classes and. Uh, and, and so I was, I was able to finish after 11th grade. So I had this year and I worked for a while, hmm. made some money and then did the classic, you know, $10 a day backpacking trip with a friend. So we did that for five months and, yeah. you know, traveled and, and went to some out of the way places like uh, places you might not consider going today, like Syria <laughs> yeah, and Jordan and, uh, and so I had this international travel bug mm. and, um, and that, that's kind of always been there. So I, I, it wasn't really uh, economics per se, but I was interested in international development, which is what I eventually yeah. majored in. And at Brown, you know, at Brown, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and so then you Brown's went an interesting. Oh, sorry about that. No, no, I mean, it's great. I, and, but then you went off to Johns Hopkins for international economics, right? Yeah. Then I went, uh, you know, with a, with a few breaks in between to study Chinese. I ended up coming. Um, I was overseas for two years in Taiwan, learning Chinese. And uh, yes, I came back, and and then I started to focus more on uh, finance and economics, but really with an international uh, uh, perspective. Uh, because the school I went to was the, it's called SICE, the School for Advanced International Studies in D.C. Huh. Now, what, what, was the, what was the Chinese, what was the lure to, to, to study Chinese uh, in your life? You know, I get that question a lot. It's, um, I really think it comes down to one professor that I had at Brown. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was, he was a political science professor, and he talked a lot about uh, the Chinese political experiment. Um, and this was, you know, uh, when was I, this was like the late seventies and, um, there was, 
still a bit of, uh, of glorification around, um, uh, you know, the cultural <laughs> revolution yeah. and things yeah. like that, but it was fading. And anyway, that was something I became very interested in kind of how China was developing right. and how China was starting to open and do agricultural reform and how that was, um, you know, kind of setting off a whole series of, of interesting changes there. So that was it. And, and I wanted, the other thing was I had, I had studied a bit of Marxism in college and, and I really wanted to see what is it like to live in a country that is, uh, operating under a command economy. Yeah. And, um, I thought of a few different options. I mean, I could have gone somewhere else, but China yeah. seemed to just draw me. And I know I'm fast forwarding because you, after, after grad school, I think you worked for the federal reserve board, but you did work in Asia for what, nine or 10 or 11, 12 years, something like that. Um, I worked there for 15 years. Yeah. I mean, I lived in Asia a total of 18 years. Um, three of them basically studying and working, you know, odd jobs, yeah. uh, but 15 years um, as, a, as a professional, I would say. Um, and what was, I mean, I know you worked for Cisco. What, what were you, how, how would you encapsulate what you were doing? Well, most of the time when I was in Asia, I was um, running, well, I was, I developed and then I was running our uh, customer financing division. Um, like, you know, you would lease a car uh, or lease a computer. Uh, we had more, on a larger scale, you know, we had customers that were um, acquiring big, you know, multi-million dollar systems and they needed some kind of financing. Right. And so I went to set that up in Asia and then, um, and, and it was country by country because every country you go into, it's got its own set of, of requirements. So, you know, did a lot of business development and then, and then ran the, the sales aspect of it um, for a number of years. So that was basically what I was doing. How interesting. How, rattle off some countries for us. Where did you live and where did you, well, I, I started off in Hong Kong, uh, spent three years there. Then I moved to Singapore, uh, same job, but um, all I really needed to was to be in a, in a location with a good airport because I was covering the whole region. Yeah. And uh, Hong Kong at the time, was it, the air, air was really bad, and yeah. I was getting sick a lot, so we moved to Singapore. So I was in Singapore, and then the last four years, I was in uh, Shanghai. Uh, because I did switch over and started working on mergers and acquisitions, looking at companies that we could acquire. And uh, most of the interest was in China at the time. So I moved there to do that. Then uh, how fascinating. What what brought you back to the States? Uh, well, both girls, um, I have two, two children, and they both graduated from high school and left the house and came back to the U.S. to go to college. So hmm. there really was no reason to stay in, in China. And um, I don't know, China kind of got old for us and mm -hmm. we wanted something different. So, right. um, but it was mostly family. And, and then you came back and I think you, you went from the world of finance to the world of teaching, right? Education. 
Yeah, I did. I actually started doing that when I was in Shanghai because I uh, I left Cisco. I, I took a retirement package and uh, decided, you know, I wanted to kind of downscale my life and, and not be traveling as much and hmm. and not have the stress. So I uh, I found an opportunity to start teaching uh, AP economics, actually created an AP economics class for a, uh, a local international school. Uh, so, I, so I was teaching. And then when I came back, I thought, um, you know, I enjoyed it. And I thought it would be a nice retirement job. You know, I could teach part time and, and still have a lot of time for myself. So I ended up uh, teaching economics at Glendale College, which is pretty much what brought me to Glendale. Right, right. And I think, and I don't know whether you started off in that house that you are in now, but that's, you could walk to the college from your house. Yeah, I could walk to the college, which is one of the reasons I ended up with this place, because I, I like the idea of yeah. just being able to walk and bike yeah. Uh, yeah. To, to college. And and that, that in Southern California is a very unique, <laughs> unique thing it is. to have. So yeah, no, no worries. It is. Well, let's, let's go, let's sort of fast forward into the whole um, Grayson debate. And then our, our listeners will be fascinated to hear about, you know, we have this, what, aging power plant here in Glendale, nine units dating back, I think, to the 1940s, one of the most polluting, mm -hmm. one of the most polluting power plants in the state of California. And uh, they were going to, I guess the, the utility, it was about 160 megawatts of useful capacity. Utility wanted to, to repower it and go up to what, 250 or 260 250, megawatts? 250, yeah. It wanted to make it bigger. And you at the college and, and others that I want to hear about said, this doesn't make any sense. Why would we build a power plant that we're going to have to run natural gas in for what, 30, 40 years when we're trying to phase out of natural gas? we got a climate crisis on our hands. But how did you, what, what happened? What crystallized that you start, you led the charge with and formed the Glendale Environmental Coalition? Um, well, like a lot of things in life, it was a bit accidental. Um, I, for a long time, I've had a deep concern about uh, the climate crisis. And, um, you know, I was new to Glendale uh, and I happened to pick up a, a the newspaper, the local newspaper, and there was a little article about a uh, scoping meeting for the environmental impact report, uh, and it had to do with the Grayson power plant. I thought, what, what is that? And, you know, yeah, it seems strange to me. Why would we be expanding natural gas when, you know, we're facing such, uh, uh, such pressures to you know, move away, move into clean energy. And why would we put down $500 million, which was the, mm. the, the price tag? Why would we invest that kind of money as a city uh, into something that is uh, going to be obsolete pretty quickly? And um, at the time, state law uh, wasn't where it is today, uh, SB 100, which is, you know, the... Um, the law that would uh, basically end fossil fuel energy in California mm -hmm. by 2045. That was not law yet, but you could see the writing on the wall. It was um, yep. it was yep. moving through the legislature, and and so it just seemed wrong to me. Yeah. Um, but you know, I could have just dropped it and moved on with what I was doing. But I tend to be curious about things, so I started trying to learn more about it. 
Um, and I, I went in and I made an appointment with the head of our utility at the time and started asking him questions. And, and I'll be honest with you, um, he, he was pretty dismissive and um, really just tried to uh, put some nice spin on what was happening. And, and that didn't sit well with me. And so, yeah. you know, I thought, yeah, maybe, maybe this needs a little bit more attention. And, I, and maybe I have the bandwidth to, to start to push back on this. And how did you do that? How did you how did you bring the, the, the forces together? You know, it was so strange. I um, I did two things. One is I wrote an op-ed for the Glendale News Press, hmm. and I I wrote a critique of the project, really from a financial point of view, as much as from an environmental point of view. Um, and. I've started getting uh, contacted by some people who were saying, you know, yeah, I, I was, I'm also concerned about this. And, you know, there were a lot of people out there that were thinking about it, but just hadn't taken that first teeny little step. Yeah. And just by writing that op-ed, um, it introduced me to a number of people and, and, you know, I met with them and, and, and everybody was saying, let's, let's see if we can um, join together and 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 push back on this thing so that that was the genesis of it yeah then i then i created a facebook page somebody said hey create a facebook page and pick a name so i picked the name glendale environmental coalition and people started pushing it out to people they knew and people joined and uh, we were posting things about what was going on and i just you know i think the wind was to our back people yeah. were you know, there were a lot of people that were concerned. It didn't take a whole lot of active organizing in the beginning. It almost just exploded on its own. Yeah, right. And it, and it got to a point where you formed this, this body. And I, I think you had one of the, the biggest rallies outside of City Hall that the, the city had, had ever seen before, um, opposing this repowering of this power plant, the expansion of the power plant. Yeah, that's what we, we ended up. Um, I mean, there's a lot we're skipping, but, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I should say that um, I hooked up with Sierra Club and they, they provided a lot of expert advice mm -hmm. on the project itself. And, and the, the kind of the arrangement I had with Sierra Club was they can work on the decision makers, they can work on, on the expert argument, but they don't have the resources on the ground to do the organizing. So they said, you know, you have to do that. And I said, okay. Um, I had enough people that were interested and we thought, okay, we can do that. So we started um, just, uh, I, I mean, I spent a lot of time going kind of neighborhood to neighborhood, getting people to set up um, mm -hmm. little meeting opportunities with some of the neighborhood groups and, and other organizations trying to get partners to come on, on board, you know, other groups that had had interest. Uh, and I found a lot of, you know, a lot of sympathy, a lot of support and um, and eventually organized this this rally. And the first rally we had, 600 people came out hmm. and gathered in front of City Hall during a council meeting and um, kind of demonstrated that there's a significant uh, segment of the community that wants us to take uh, go in a better direction. 
and and the and the council um, at that point or shortly thereafter said, "Let's see what's out there. Let's see what the options are." As I understand it, put out that clean energy RFP, put put it, put the power plant project on hold, put out an RFP to see what could people deliver in terms of energy efficiency or solar or, or other resources. Is that is that, that right? that's right? That's right. I think they realized that the project that was in front of them was something that had been devised. Um, probably starting even 10 years before that. And, and that was at a time when we didn't have the options that, um, that had emerged with batteries in particular, right? And, and the price of solar, uh, but especially batteries. And so um, I think they realized that, that this was a bit outdated and that it was worthwhile taking a, a pause and looking at what other technologies were out there and whether we could find a way to meet our energy needs without either any gas or without that amount of gas. So right. that did happen. That was a good, uh, a good development. And I think actually you and I were on a team with Perma City Solar uh, promoting a, a solar solution, at which got, which is one of the, weren't there 45, some, 43 or 45 projects that were proposed and the utility evaluated them and, and shortlisted four. I think we were one of the four. Ultimately, yeah. the utility did too. But what ha Dan, what happened with the power plant? Well, um, what happened is after a, a whole bunch of uh, reevaluation, the utility came back with a new plan. And they, they recognized that a large battery system um, and some other things could um, obviate the need for a lot of the gas. So they went from the original proposal was 260 megawatts. Mm -hmm. um, it was a Siemens technology uh, and kind of a traditional gas technology. And, and they, they introduced a, an alternative plan, which had about um, 90 some megawatts of, of gas, Wurtzilla engines, five smaller engines that were, um, could be operated independently and could be ramped up very, very, you know, quickly and, when not in use would be, would be cold, uh, would not be, you know, idling, so to speak. So, mm -hmm. uh, would, would, would be, um, you know, not as polluting, obviously they have to be run from time to time for, for testing and, and in the extreme heat days they would be used, but they would really be treated as a last, uh, resource and, and mostly in place for, um, for backup for our, our um, resource adequacy requirements. So that's what they came up with. So large battery system um, and uh, about, you know, just, just shy of 100 megawatts of gas. Right. And then, and then uh, I got involved with you. I was, uh, thank you. Thank you for appointing me to the Glendale Water and Power Commission, which I mm -hmm. was fascinated to be part of. And there was a big debate. You were leading the charge on this. Uh, we don't need five of those units. Uh, could we get away with four or three? Uh, and ultimately. Ultimately, it... we ended up with three. So we, we, we got it down from 93 megawatts to, I think, about 50 55 i'm rounding because i forget the exact numbers but yeah i think these units are 18 something megawatts each so we ended up with three of those so what is that that's 54 megawatts or or something like that yeah what a wild ride started at 160 or two, no started at uh 
Well, the original power plant I was thinking, and then the, oh, then the Siemens right, solution right. was 260, right. and then down to 90, 90 something odd, and then down to 50 or less, just less than 60 megawatts. And I think uh, I think those turbines can only be operated, or those engines can only be operated like 15 percent of the time maximum. They're permitted for right. That's exactly right. 15 yeah. percent. So a huge. I mean, I think it's a huge accomplishment. How do you feel about it? Well, I mean, yes, I think it is. Um, so long as we do all the things that uh, the plan calls for, which is a lot of distributed generation and also other distributed resources like energy efficiency and demand response. Mm-hmm. Um, because we, you know, we have limited transmission and it's not um, likely that we're going to get a lot of additional transmission over the next decade. So for us to make this work, there's a lot that we need to do and it's not happening as fast as it should be. And that is a concern, Mm -hmm. but you know, we've locked ourselves into this. We're, we're not going to be putting in more gas. So we have to make it work. And that pressure on all of us is, 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 is helpful. And when you think about it, not, I mean, here you are, you're the mayor, you, you know, you came from this background of challenging the utilities plan. You got yourself on the council. You, we've got other green council members that are supporting your positions. You're now the mayor. And, and yet you still um, are, are like, you're saying it's just not happening fast enough. I, I guess you end up, even though we have a municipal utility, is it just fair to say that these are, these organizations are just sort of, they're just inherently slow moving, adverse to change. Uh, and, and that's, therefore you just have to keep the pressure on them. I think that's true. That's true. Um, I think you also have some significant events that we've gone through recently, uh, like COVID, uh, that have, yeah. you know, caused a lot of supply chain issues. So part of what's slowing us down is, is supply chain. So it's a combination of things. It's a combination of really getting people in our utility bought into these new technologies. Um, It's it's, some of it is the marketplace. Some of it is our own resources and um, our resources in the, in the utility itself, the people that we have. I mean, there's, there's only so much you can squeeze through the bottleneck. And we really need a, a bit of reorganization. We're working on that, but we need, uh, we need some people. We need to set up a clean energy department yeah. and staff it with people who really understand and uh, have experience with and believe in the ability of distributed generation and, and other distributed resources. Yeah. It just takes a long time to, to, for these things to happen. And, and yeah. it's frustrating, but... I don't know if anybody else has really um, broken the code on this. Right. And, and we have to give respect to the folks at the utility that have been running a very tight ship, right? In terms of tr- traditional generation and distribution and, and, and procurement of, of resources outside of the LA basin. I mean, they've been, they've done a good job, I would say, in terms of maintaining they, reliability and prices and also, yeah, now we're asking have. them to take on a, a really a whole different operating system. Right. That's right. And they're, and they're working under a lot of constraints. You know, we're, a, we don't have, a, we don't have an open space that we can put solar farms uh, in Glendale. So we're, 
we're really constrained in where we can uh, find opportunities for uh, either, you know, local uh, solar or, um, or other ways to reduce demand or, or, or kind of time shift uh, demand. That's, it's tough. And we're in a small balancing area with, um, with Los Angeles, Burbank, and Glendale. Los Angeles is obviously the big gorilla. And so we're, we're extremely dependent on what they do with transmission. You know, they're looking at hydrogen, but we're just dependent on them yep. uh, making some progress with these things. So Dan Brotman, uh, ed- educator, activist, um, has to be patient, <laughs> right? You, Yeah. And I have to make compromises too. And one of the things that was very, very difficult yep. was the vote I took on the three gas engines because here i am this guy who is deeply concerned about climate wants us to get off fossil fuels as quickly as possible and it came down to a a decision that i felt you know i had to make to invest in some backup fossil um, generation i lost some friends over this and um you know at the end of the day, when you're an activist, it's, it's kind of easy to say, you know, don't invest in any more fossil fuels. But when you're when you're governing and you have that responsibility on your shoulders and you understand more about the complexities and you um, you know what the consequences are if if we screw this up yeah. and we're not able to meet you know, our reliability needs. I think our longer term program is put at risk. Our, our program, which goes beyond just a clean grid, but it goes to electrification and all the other things that we want to do in the city, right. that becomes um, kind of undermined. You know, our credibility is called into question. So we have to be careful yeah. that we we make progress, but we don't um, don't do things that are that are reckless and right. get us into trouble. Well, I think you've you've just defined really what leadership is all about, where you weigh you weigh all sides, you make a decision which based on the best the best you can do for everybody. Like you said, you lost you lost some friends. I was always consoled. I supported the the X number of units at Grayson, three or four, and I was consoled that potentially we'll be able to shift those in the future to green hydrogen, uh, which I think would be a, a would be a wonderful thing. And hopefully, the California market is awash with offshore wind by, by that time. So Dan, um, final couple questions. Um, what, what do you like to do outside of a public life when you're not dealing with all these <laughs> challenging issues? What do you do? I know you like to bicycle. Yeah, I like to bicycle. I like to listen to music. I have a wonderful partner um, and all those things, but I'll have to say I'm not very good at the work-life balance thing. This no. has been all consuming yeah, I sometimes console myself by saying this is my hobby. This is my, you know, I'm in retirement and yeah. um, this is what I've chosen to do. I don't do it because it's uh, a money earner. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do it out of out of love and passion. And, and so it does absorb most of my my energies, but I take time to, you know, yeah. read some literature that has nothing to do with anything that's going on here. Listen yeah. to some good music. 
Yeah. And, um, well, we've you and I've shared that, a couple couple beers too along the way, and that too, yeah. that too. <laughs> but uh, no, in, in all seriousness, I I, I salute, and I admire uh, what you've done, what you're doing, and I think uh, it, it it stands for me to say and others to say just thank you because you have made I think just phenomenally important um, changes and made in, phenomenally important contributions here in Glendale. So. So thanks, Dan. Thank you. Thank you, Ted. And you've been part of the journey too. So I want to well, give you your props. You know, you've, <laughs> you've been um, important to me in, in, in helping me understand some of these technical challenges because well, I'm not, I mean, I'm not an energy guy. I've just learned it over the last few years. And uh, so I need to rely on people like you and others that have that expertise. Well, thanks again. Thanks for giving me that opportunity. And uh, let's let's call it uh, an episode now. Thanks again. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. It was fun talking. That's it. Thanks for listening to Flanagan's Ecologic. We'll see you next time.